welcome to the Archery Geek Outdoors podcast. Evening one and all, how are we doing? Yeah, we're sticking with Flaming June for the intro music still, because we're in wet and cold August. Bloody hell, the weather's awful so far, isn't it? See, typical Brit moaning about the freaking weather already. Anyway, welcome to episode 56, where I'm again going to be off down the arrow rabbit hole to see if we can find one arrow to rule them all. But before I do anything else, while I was prepping for this, I managed to drink all my coffee, so we're going for a really satisfying sound here. The opening of a can of old moat, strawberry and apple cider. Fresh out the fridge, keep me nice. Keep the vocal cords lubricated as we go. Anyway, right, one arrow to rule them all. What do I mean? Uh, As regular listeners will know, and folks uh, see the posts on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, (laughs) TikTok, not from a social media whore or anything, (laughs) Uh, I'm currently shooting uh, the Skyline Empros shafts they're sexy as fuck looking really good tolerances and i'm having good results with them so why would i want to change them right i i shoot enfas and efa and i mean I, I think the longest shot i've had with these has been 94 yards with very little maybe a four or five mile an hour crosswind and didn't seem to get any wind drift. But I want to start doing some hunter and field round Geneva where there are regular shots out to 85 yards and you can't guarantee no wind. And a a shaft that's that fat is going to get a lot of wind drift so I'm thinking coming something slightly narrower. So I can shoot it for 3D, hunt around, field rounds, not so skinny that it's going to penalise me if I do any uh, standard target shooting. Although you look at some, uh, was it Jesse Broadwater he used to shoot skinnies? on the 20 yarders kind of there have been some that have shot them i know in one of the competitions in the states and god there are that many i lose track uh it's not vegas is it the nfaa indoor nationals where in the final round they shoot for an ex most archery rounds if you cut a line you're into the higher score I think it might be the NFAA Indoor Nationals. Somebody will correct me, correct me if I'm wrong anyway. Uh, on the final round, if you hit the line, you get the lower score. So they'll all shoot fatty arrows up to the final round, and then final round, they all switch to the skinnies. Anyway, that's, that's as an aside. Uh, I'm trying to find one arrow that I can do everything with. Like I say, I've shot these out to 90-odd yards, these Empros, and not a lot of wind drift. But, mm, you know, if I want to shoot hunter and field rounds where you are shooting out to 85 yards, or you look at Lawton, Lawton Field, was it Lawton Field Bowman? I still can't remember the right name of the club. Sorry, guys, it was a lovely club, lovely woodlands to shoot, and awesome, awesome people. But you know you're going to be, you are, there's going to be times when you're shooting in wind, and I don't have to worry. You know, these these are, these 2364 or 8mm ID diameter shafts are going to be unforgiving in wind, so I've, I've, I was having a look 
back as to everything I've shot. I mean, I started, God, when I originally used to shoot years and years and years ago, uh, Eastern Red Eagles, you know, the aluminium arrows, that red, and they looked awesome because they'd got high-profile veins on them in black and hot pink, and they looked sexy as fuck. But when I came back into it and bought my stinger at the end of 2014, started off with Eastern Power Flights. Uh, God, I dread how many people have started off with Eastern Power Flights. A little bit heavy, because, I mean, when I first had my stinger, it was wound down from 70 to 60. So I was on a 400 spine, and I kept that 400 spine, even when I was shooting 70 pounds, Eventually swapped to a 340. But the the power flights aren't a particularly lightweight shaft. Uh, the 400, if I remember right, was something like 8.4 grains an inch. The 340 was 9.3 grains an inch. And if you had one break, when you looked at the end section, it was like carbon fibre on the inside, carbon fibre on the outside, but then it looked almost like glass fibre matting down the middle. But I had good results with the power flights. You know, I really can't moan about them. Got a few Robin Hoods with them at 20 yards as well. Anyway, power flight is standard. Well, the class is standard diameter. Uh, when you look at the Skylines, they call them a 6.2mm or a 6mm. Uh, what, 244, 245, 246 internal diameter in inches. Then I moved over to the gold tip ultralight entradas. Ultralight series, same as pretty much the same as the velocity series. And the entrada with the what was it, plus minus six out straightness, because I think they did the entrada. Uh then the ultralight. Then was it the XP? Or did they do a pro? Oh, I can't remember. I'd have to look on Goldfish. Goldfish, fucking hell, here we go. I haven't even had a drop aside to damn my neck yet <laughs> on the Gold Tip website. But you've got the, you know, the plus minus six thou straightness, the plus minus three thou straightness, and the plus minus one thou straightness. And I shot my highest ever score with those on a 3D course. Really nice arrows. I'd got them fletched up with power flights. Uh, sorry, power flights, fucking hell. I'm back to the previous arrow, and I got them fletched up with blazers. <laughs> and they always flew really nice. And because I should shot them out the... What did I shoot them out of? I think I shot them out the stinger. I had a 300 spine because I was running standard insert in a 125 grain point. Uh, shot him out the my PSE Bow Madness Epics. Shot him out of my Apex 7 in my brief tenure of the Apex 7. God, I couldn't get on with that boat. It was noisy and it weighed an absolute freaking ton. And shot him out the Kuma as well. And there's way back on my Instagram page there's a slow-mo video the, the the one the only Johnny Bucket recorded he was stood behind a shipping container with his phone held out at the side I was the other side of the ship, shipping container shooting and he got some amazing slow-mo arrow flights of my gold tip and it looked spectacular it flew so nice Anyway, you, you know what it's like when you want to mess and you want to fettle and you want to fiddle. And I thought I'd try some then, victories. But the ones I really liked was the VAP TKO, not the standard VAP, the TKO, purely because you know what happens when you believe the hype about the that carbon weave, pretty much the same carbon weave that's on the Empros about it reducing torsion in the arrow and straightening them faster but what really got me was they looked sexy as fuck with that weave just like the Empros do so I tried out some VAP TKO's most expensive arrow shafts I've bought what was this like 128 quid 
for a dozen shafts. Now, I know to a lot of folks that's not expensive, especially when you're looking at some of the Eastern Specialist target arrows. But for me, that was a shit ton of money, you know, considering I'd gone from paying, what, 40-odd quid for a dozen shafts, suddenly to triple in price. And they shot nice, but fucking hell, were they fragile. You only had to hit a hard spot in a target, and those things would snap like matchsticks, and I went through them in no time. And I just couldn't justify that price. Plus, being much thinner, you hadn't got the line-cutting ability of the ultralights and the power flights. Anyway, from those, I went back to the Goldtip Ultralight Entradas and shot them again very successfully. And uh, as I was breaking those, you know, you'd have the odd miss, you'd stick them in the ground or you'd clip a branch or you'd hit a hard spot in a target or you'd you'd miss where you were aiming for and hit one of the pins in the targets. I thought, right, let's have a look at what I'm going to have next. And I'm thinking, right, I don't want to go as skinny as the four millimetres. And I think it were it was one of Brandon McDonald's videos he did. He actually looked at the the strength of the various diameter arrows and he found the happiest compromise was the point two oh four or five or five point two mil. And at the time Brian had not long taken over the archer's nest and he was doing the skylons and we were having a natter and showed me the skyline in Steck's. They got, I can't remember what their other 5.21 was called. That was just a little too heavy on the GPI. The Instec was nice on the GPI to give me the weight of arrow I was looking for. I think it was about 420 grain. I was looking for to keep my, my speed down at the 300 feet a second for end fast. So I had a couple of lots of the Skylon Instecs did well with those as well and then as I'd shot my way through most of those I decided to try a fatter shaft again that was all Ryan's fault I was in uh, I was in the archer's nest one night and just messing around with some of his 2364s that he got and they seemed to fly really really nice and then I was down at White Mark with David G, and he was shooting the Skylon Brooks, their other 2364th arrow, and his were cut at 30 inches. We put them through the Kuma, and they flew like absolute darts. So I had a quick look what Skylon had got on, the, on their website in the 8.2 diameter, and lo and behold, they'd got the Brooks and they'd got the Empros, and the Empros had got that sexy AF weave. <laughs> you know which one I'm going for, don't you? If they look good. <laughs> I say, I've, I've had no problems with these Empros. It's just I'm thinking, I say, when I shoot the Hunter and Field rounds, I want a little less diameter. I'm not, I say, I've, I've shot them down at, at Tony's place. We've got a 3D out, and we stretched it back to about 94 yards, and no problems. But you're not going to get still still shooting every day. I mean, yeah, I know in a lot of the woods you're sheltered from the wind, but if there's enough wind, it is going to hit you through the woods. So I was... I remember a while ago, uh, Nate over at Average Jack Archery, he'd done a video, hang on, Tommy, sorry to disappoint you, I've got notes tonight, it was just too much for me to try and remember in my head, so I actually did some notes, where am I, where am I, where am I, I'm right, my, my notes are all over the place, ah, there we go, he did a video, oh, God, it was back in 2021. Uh, looking. Oh, here we go. He did a video called 
do it all arrow does it exist and he said for beginner archers yes it does I'm not a beginner but I'm looking for something forgiving so that's the other thing I'm looking for a forgiving shaft and more on that when I when I get on to the podcast that John Dudley's just done who was the guy with James L. Park was it James L. Park hang on turning pages here we go yeah episode 334 with James James L. Park the guy's got a doctorate in arrow flight and more on to that later of course he was looking at very very high end performers and as we all know I'm a distinctly average archer that I need to build something as forgiving as I can anyway Watch this video of Nate from Average Jack, and in the end, he settled on the standard diameter, you know, the 244, 245, 246 internal diameter. So I thought, right, let, let's let's have a look then. And Cy Thomas, his brother Paul, Carl at the club, all shoot Skyline Edge arrows. Now, so I, I've... I've really liked the Skylons I've shot so far. And if you go back, God, I can't remember what episode it is. I should have put this in the notes as well, shouldn't I? I really should. Just an excuse to have a trawl through the back episodes anyway, through the back catalogue. Was it the Instex? Yeah, it was the Instex. I put on a bare poor analyzer that Rob Jones lent me. And... I compared them against uh, Victory Vap TKOs and Elite, the Victory Vap TKOs, the Elites, the the real expensive ones, and Eastern Axis 5mm. The Eastern Axis were way ahead of everything else on tolerances, but they're produced differently from what I understand. They, what is it, a carbon pultrusion, they call it, where instead of taking carbon fibre and wrapping it around a mandrel, a sheet of carbon fibre and wrapping it round, the axis, they're woven around a mandrel and the mandrel never stops. So they do say that if you buy a set of arrows now and another set of their shafts in like three years' time, the tolerances will all be the same because they're not wrapped round and they reckon that possibly the biggest advantage is this is you don't get a stiff spine and a weak spine I mean yeah there was some variation round there but they were way ahead of everything but the Skyline Instex were within like 3% of the Victory RIP TKOs the Instex were like less than 50 quid for a dozen shafts, and the VAPs were nearly 150, so the, the RIPs were nearly 150 quid for a dozen shafts. You know, it was an absolute no-brainer. When, if you go back onto the Instagram, my Instagram feed, the Archery Geek Outdoors Instagram feed, you'll see I did some live videos just weighing out the MPROS, and if I remember rightly, across a dozen full-length 33-inch shafts, there's 0.6 of a grain in difference in in weight. You know, I was absolutely stunned by that. Cause, I mean, a 33-inch shaft of a length, isn't it, ladies? Anyway, I'd say so. I'm happy to go with the Skylons. Now, I'm just about to scroll through this because Skylon do several shafts in the 244 diameter like I say Paul, Paul, Simon and Carl all shoot the edges and they're really happy with them the other one I'd seen was the the Forrick and nobody in the UK seems to stock the Forrick Uh as it is, the Skylon Edge in a 350 spine, 7.61 grains an inch, so it's almost a grain an inch lighter 
than my Empros, which and I know on a three fifty I'll be able to run a standard insert and either a hundred or a one twenty five grain point. I think with a one twenty five grain point it'll put me at around three hundred and eighty grains uh per arrow, which it's gonna keep me around the two ninety two hundred and ninety five foot per second, which is a nice safe number. I know with with NFAST, it's 300 feet a second limit, plus minus 3%, so you can get away with up to 309. As I've said before, EFA, there is no margin for error. It is 300. Uh, I mean, their chrono seems to read a little slower than Paget's. When I put the MPROS through the chrono at Paget, it was showing 295 when I put them through the Aoife crown at the Bowen, it was showing 290. But if I've got one showing 300 on one chrono and theirs reads a little higher, you've then got to wind the limbs down, which buggers all your sight marks. So if I stick around the 295 feet a second mark, and I had a look on Victory's spine calculator, and Victory have got a really, really good spine calculator on their website. It takes everything into consideration. What they do do is insist you input the shaft length carbon to carbon. So it's not the AMO of uh, throat of knock to front of carbon because we all know different knocks have different lengths, you know, vastly different distances from throat of knock to back a carbon so on victories you put it in the carbon to carbon measurement which makes perfect sense but you know they put your knock weight in your bushing weight in uh, shaft length carbon to carbon weight of insert weight of point weight of outserts you know wraps veins and it gives you really accurate measurement and on their web on their spine calculator on borderline 400 to 300. 400 spine, if I use a 100 grain insert, if I bump up to a 125 grain or add a half inch onto the arrow, onto the carbon to carbon shaft length, down into a 350. So I think I want to run a 350 in the Skylon edge. And that comes, the edges are. In a 350 spine, 7.61 grains per inch. If I drop down to a 400, I'd only be saving, what, 0.28 grains of an inch, grains per inch, because they're 7.33 grains per inch. They both come in a 33-inch full-length shaft, and they're a plus-minus 5,000 straightness. But... Of course, I shoot at a 27 carbon to carbon. I've got six inches to cut off there. Now, how many blokes can say without sweating they can afford to cut six inches off the length of their shaft? <laughs> oh, dear. Hang on, I better get back onto my bloody note here. I've completely lost where I'm going. Oh, dear. I'm I'm going to alter up the build process slightly with these. Like I said, I'm looking to build a really forgiving arrow. Now, I'm going to have to bounce backwards and forwards in my notes here in a minute, purely because I didn't write... I just wrote down a load of notes about different things I wanted to cover, but didn't put them in the order I wanted to cover them. How's that for being a smart arse, eh? Hang on a minute, just going to have a drag of me vape... And a sip of my cider. That cider don't have to go down nice. Dangerous stuff, because it's like drinking fucking pop. You know, like I say, I've, I, I want to build a really forgiving arrow. And I've thought about, do I knock tune through paper? Do I knock tune group tuning? What do I do? And while I'm... While all this is mulling through my mind. I'm thinking, am I talking out loud saying this shit to myself? Because, you, you, not conspiracy theory time, not at all. It's well-known fact. 
you know all the apps in your mobile phone have got the microphone on. They can access your microphone. It's nothing to do with Big Brother is watching. The only Big Brother that's watching is fucking Google, so it can sell targeted advertising. Anyway, uh, I'd been mulling this over about building something more forgiving. And lo and behold, up comes a series of videos from John Dudley about what he does with his arrows, uh, you know, how he's building them and what what he's looking for. Excuse me. (coughs) And the most important, he, he did a really good one called Chasing Ghosts. And it would... I swear this fucker could have written it. He could have written this video aimed at me because he was on about worrying about your degrees of helical, your fletchings, your this, your that, the other, your paper tuning, your knock tuning. And he's, he's, what he's saying is right. Instead of putting hours and hours in on this, and I bet I'm, 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 not good enough to notice the difference in accuracy on a left helical and a right helical on whether they're not tuned or not. He said, put that time into shooting fucking groups until you can put in, you know, he's he's shooting two and three inch groups at 70 yards. He said, when you can do that, then it's the time to get down all these rubber rabbit holes. And every time I put a photo up on Instagram or Facebook, where I've shot another vein, I've all smashed another arrow shooting groups. Rob Jones keeps telling me, Rich, don't shoot groups. And I know I shouldn't, but I love shooting groups. And I do like... I mean, yeah, you can shoot three-spot, four-spot, five-spot targets and put them all in the goal, but it's still not as satisfying as sticking a group down there and getting so much shaft on shaft out action it could be fucking homoerotic you know there's still it's such a satisfying sound when you're shooting groups and you hear the shaft slapping against each other but anyway yeah we get, i'm getting totally digressed here aren't i hang on more side of time and no i i am not getting drunk tonight i have one little 330 mil can and as big as an a, a, as big of an alcohol lightweight as I am, even I can handle that without getting pissed. Anyway, so I'm thinking, right, what am I going to fletch with? I really like the Boning X3 veins. I mean, they're really stiff, very quiet in flight, and a 2.25 inch isn't excessive for me. I like that shiny, glossy look as well. You know, I I look at my arrows and I'm like, ooh, shiny. It makes me happy. Anyway, I just don't think they look as sexy as a fucking blazer. To me, there is nothing sexier on the back end of an arrow than a boning blazer vein. They look the absolute dog's bollocks. The sexiest vein ever produced. Like I say, I love my X3s, and they do look damn good, especially because they're glossy. But I don't, because they're a lower profile, I don't know what, two point, I shoot the X3 2.25 inch, and I've had such fantastic results with them. But I'm thinking, because they're a slightly lower profile, are they going to make it as forgiving as a slot, the slightly higher profile blazer, I found the blazers were always noisier because they're not uh, quite as rigid. And the X3s, I presume it's a combination of the slightly lower profile. And because they're a 2.25 inch, that three degree helical gets the, the back of the wong vein closer to the front of the next when you're looking around the shaft. God, this sounds really weird, doesn't it? You know, that's, that's going to help cut the noise down, I think, from what I, I was watching one of MFJJ's videos saying about the crossovers. Uh, God, I'm all over the shop here. 
It's because I'm trying to look at notes. Sorry, Tommy, I know, I know you like it when I just ramble on without notes, but to be fair, even with fucking notes, I'm rambling like fuck. So I was thinking, now, Easton used to do the bully vein, the two-inch bully vein that was pretty much a knockoff of the boning blazer. What they've done now is worked with boning and produced a new version of the bully vein made out of, I think it's the same material that the X3's made out of, which is boning heat material. So you're getting this blaze, this blazer-looking vein made by boning. It hasn't got the boning logo on, and I do like having a boning logo on the back of my shaft, fnar fnar. Uh, that's going to be as stiff as the X3. I mean, I realise that because it's higher profile, it's not going to have as much, it's not going to feel as stiff, but it's going to be considerably stiffer than the standard blazer. And one of the things that I'd started getting going around in my head was that higher profile and more flutter is going to create more drag and slow the arrow down more downrange and a lower stiffer vein but if I can get one in a material that's as stiff as the X3s that should reduce some of that flutter and then I was looking at tack veins I I thought my X3s were stiff but I think it's Copy and Andy Williams both running tack veins and I think it was Andy said he went to pull an arrow out his hand slid up his shaft yeah, yeah, we know what you were doing with your hand sliding up your shaft, Andy. And the tack veins actually sliced his hand open, and I'm thinking, fuck, you know, they are a really, really stiff vein. So I'm thinking, do I try a 2.25-inch tack vein? But there was only one shop in the UK that was listing them. They were out of stock, and I think they wanted something like 40 quid for 36 veins, and I'm like, the fuck? Anyway, talking to Copy down at Liberty, a few of them had got together. Uh, each bought a hundred pack attack veins, and Copy and Andy are raving about these. And I respect both of their opinions. You know, they've shot them; they really like them. And a group of them got together, ordered a hundred each, and got reasonable rates on the shipping. So I had a quick look on. Tax, tack veins website at these the tack driver 2.25 inch which is like their shield cut similar to the it's a lower profile shield cut very similar to the boning x3 and they do a vein called the summit which is the same really stiff material but in a blazer blazer shape and like i say i still think that's going to be a little more forgiving. Just looking back at that slow-mo video of the flight and my gold tip with the blazers on, bloody hell, the flight was incredible. So flat, you know, no deviation on the shaft. And it's back to this thing, I want forgiveness. So I'm thinking if I make a slightly bad shot, a bad release, which I make plenty of those, as hard as I try not to, I do make plenty of bad releases. You know, I'd say I've had more bad releases than Rick Astley. <laughs> Actually, that's a bit unfair on Rick Astley, and that guy's a fucking legend. More bad releases than Justin Bieber. Anyway, uh, I'm thinking that higher profile, yeah, it might, might cost me three or four feet per second downrange, but if I'm going to be shooting hunter and field rounds, I'm not going to be shooting unknown distance. I'm going to be shooting known distance on those. And it's not often on Enfas you get the really, really long shots. I mean, I think is it Wolverine, Duke Kong at 100 yards. Uh, Lawton have had their version of Sasquatch out of over 100 in the past. But I don't do that many open shoots, so I'm not going to be shooting mega distances. And uh, I remember watching a video with Levi Morgan on about his arrows. When he's shooting under 50 yards, he was happy to shoot a high-profile vein. 
purely because he wasn't starting to get excessive drag and parachute, you know, inside 50 yards. What I'm, what I might do is try some with X3s, because I've still got some X3s left, and order some of the uh, bully by boning Eastern Veins. I think it's the archery shop's got them in, and they're about 16 quid for 100 veins, which is really, really affordable. And when I looked at the tack veins, they're only $21, $21 for a pack of 100. I mean, I know it's gonna, you're going to get stung on shipping, but the only thing I'm unsure about with the tack veins is they have said the bottoms are very narrow, so I'm thinking because I use a tower jig, not one that clamps the vein, is it going to give me problems seating them properly in my tower jig? And because of the way they're made, they're like a lot of the AAE Max series where you have to use a primer pen and taxa, you have to use air glue. Now, there's loads of videos on the internet about folks priming them with acetone, then rubbing alcohol, and them seeming to go on with any glue. But tack will only guarantee adhesion if you use their primer pen and their glue which is another 17 quid on top so suddenly 20 21 quid plus shipping becomes 38 quid plus shipping you know you've nearly doubled the cost and the the boning veins a good old lick and stick no need to prime they're pre-primed so all you do stick your glue on slap them on the shaft bob's your uncle fanny's your aunt jobs are good so I'm seriously tempted to try some of these Eastern bully by boning extra stiff veins just to see how I get on with them. Like I say, they haven't got the Blazer logo on, but I, I, can, I can live without that. I say I think it's 16 quid for a 100 pack from the archery shop. Unfortunately, they haven't got them in white. Uh, they've only got them in flow yellow. And thinking I'd never use flow yellow veins again, I gave away my flow yellow vinyl for making wraps. I mean, I could, I've, I've still got the flow green vinyl, I've still got white vinyl, so I could either go flow green wrap, flow yellow veins, or white wrap, flow yellow veins, or I could just buy some more flow yellow oracle 6510, good night. <laughs> Just an excuse to buy more shit, isn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I I thought about just getting some good old blazer veins in white. Because I, like I say, I really do like blazers. I, but the stiffer material of the bully veins, and they're made by boning, so you know they're going to be a decent standard. And at 16 quid for 100, can't mind. So I think what I might do is actually phone the archery shop make sure they've actually got them on the shelf and it's not going to be a three-month wait from the supplier and then order them in. Right, I'm about to have another sip of my cider. Anyway, so while I was looking at the Forgiving Arrows, uh, there were a couple of videos came up. One of them I'd seen before by a guy named John Stallone, Right, let's flip through my notes. Ah, there we go. What is the name of his video? You know what? I've never actually written down the name of his videos. But uh, what what I shall do is I'll dig out the hyperlink to John Stallone's video about first bend indexing and... All these videos I talk about, I'll put the links in the show notes for the podcast. So if you want to have a look at them, you can go and have a look and watch and just see where I'm coming from. So, guy named John Stallone, I'd seen a few of his videos and really liked them. And he did he did one about what they call first bend indexing on arrows. Now... He said he was introduced to it by friends at the Arizona Archery Club. And what first bend indexing is, 
it's finding the dynamic weak point on the spine, on the on the arrow. Right, back to arrow spine. We all know what arrow spine is. It's the amount of deflection that you get on an arrow. It's normally measured on carbon arrows. I think it might be slightly different on wooden. On carbon, now, apparently I've heard two different things for this. The first one said it's on a 29-inch shaft. Uh, the other one I read was it's a full-length shaft cut by two inches, suspended between two points, 28 inches apart, with an 880 gram or 1.94 pound weight on it. And the amount of deflection measured as thousandth of an inch is your is your spine. I think Carbon Express do it a different way. I mean, I know some of the gold tips were spined, what was it like, 45 to 60, 55 to 75, uh, 75 to 90 pound. You know, they, they were looking at draw weights, spining by draw weight. But it's pretty much universally accepted now. It's done in thousands of an inch. Uh, now, I heard somebody saying, I, I don't shoot trad, I don't shoot wooden arrows, so I don't know. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I had heard with wooden arrows it could be done at a 26-inch span with a two-pound weight, which would be, what, uh, 454, 908, 908 grams. And I presume that extra weight over the 880 would be because you were going 26 inches, not 28 inches. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd, somebody will correct me anyway. Uh Anyway, back to this one of John Stallone's. Yeah, that's your static spine. Dynamic spine is a spine as it's shot out of a bow. And apparently this first bend indexing, all it does is it allows every arrow to react the same way as it comes out of your bow. So what John Stallone was doing was, I presume a lot of you have seen the gold tip torture test on arrows where Tim Gillingham at the ATA slaps them in a bow press, bends them in a horseshoe until they snap. The whole thing about that when Tim did it wasn't just showing how far a gold tip can bend before it snaps. It was showing the memory retention, how fast it comes back to its original position and how it doesn't hold a bend, how it comes back to straight. But what John Stallone does is he's got two little divots drilled in the arms on his last last chance bow press exactly in line with each other. He'll take an arrow shaft, put a point in either end, rest them in these divots and just start compressing the press until the arrow flexes that's apparently what it's doing is because the spine of an arrow matters as you release, obviously the arrow flexes, it's showing you the weakest points on the arrow. Now what what John does is marks opposite and when he's it's flexed once he'll let the pressure off, twist it ninety degrees to make the sure the bend is then at ninety degrees. He marks opposite the weak side, which he said was the the stiff spine. More on that in a minute. And this really twisted my brain as to how the weak spine of an arrow moves around the arrow. I normally the the stiffest spine is where the carbon overlaps on a traditionally wrapped arrow. Like I say, that doesn't apply with the eastern carbon extrusion because they're woven round the mandrel, not wrapped round it. Uh, John always marks the stiff spine and he said great success with it he said it works this first bend indexing works on arrows of three thou or worse he said it's not as effective on one thou straightness arrows and this got me thinking 
if it doesn't work as well on the mega straight arrows is spine consistency related to straightness just a thought I had I have no idea whether it is if there's less or was it just he was using it on something like a carbon extruded arrow which doesn't have a noticeable weak and stiff spine or is spine variation around the shaft itself does does that re- have something to do with the straightness it's just a thought I'm mulling around in my head might be worth looking more into that although here we go going off kilter now uh, we're told by a straighter hour it'll perform better when I built my first set of power flights the video I watched over and over again was Tim Gillingham's building more accurate arrows and where he was on about cutting from both ends where you can make an arrow that's plus minus six out straightness. And that doesn't mean it can be six out. Plus minus six means it can be out to 12 out. But you think your average human hair is four thou. Being out of true by the width of a human hair. And a lot, is it? I mean, 6,000 sounds a lot. You think 6,000? No, six thousandths of an inch. You know, that's one and a half human hairs. Are we good enough to do that? This is where Stephen Han from Archery Supplies comes in. He shoots victory vaps through. He shoots those out of his compound and his recurve. And in his quiver, he's got a mixture of sports and elites. That's the plus minus 5,000 straightness and the plus minus 1,000 straightness. And he mixes and matches them. He's just got them all in his quiver when he's shooting a tournament. You know, the guy's a national champion. He's not an average shooter. He's a way above average shooter. And when he says he'll pull sports and elites out, and he honestly can't tell the difference, that says something, you know... Are we being really bullshitted to by the manufacturers that, oh, you'll shoot better with a one-thou straightness arrow, so we're going to sting you an extra 80 quid a dozen? You know, when a national champion, and it's not like he's shooting everything at 20 yards, well, that's not going to make a difference. He's, you know, he's shooting out to 90 metres. You'd notice a difference if there was one there, and when he says he can't notice a difference... I think I've smelled a little bit of Billy bullshit at the manufacturers. And I remember doing an episode about arrows way, way ago. And there was an Australian study. I'm presuming this must be something to do with James L. Park, who was with, did that uh, podcast with John Dudley a few days ago. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, where they found not concentricity was a lot more important than straightness and field point concentricity. I know I shot with bent field points and noticed no difference. I've got one at the moment in the Empress that does make a difference and the damn thing flies like a corkscrew purely because it's it's not just a little bit of deformation on the end of the field point. It's a fucking great hook shoot that into a target and you're yanking your arms out the sockets trying to pull it out it's got like a backward barb on it and if you spin that on your finger the whole arrow's wibbly wobbling everywhere you know that's just not a little bit of concentricity out that's going to have a massive effect on the aerodynamics and if I shoot I mean all I've got to do is swap out the point I'm just too fucking lazy it's just the points that deformed like I say, you can watch the back-end corkscrew all the way down to the target. Anyway, uh, back to this first bend indexing. Uh, John Stallone always marks the stiff side, and he said he, he's had really good results on this. 
then that led to another video by a guy called Matt in Texas. Again, I'm going to put the links to all these videos in the show notes so you'll get to have a, a look through them yourself. And he did a video called Better Than Not Tuning, Try The Bend Test. And Matt hasn't got a bow press. So what he did was went out and bought a sash clamp, marked the dots, used a vernier to get the dead centre of the clamp pads, put his little dots there, and he does it. And the way he does it is... He marks the weak spine, the weak side of the arrow, and he lines his cock vein up with the weak side. So it's basically all you're doing is making sure every arrow reacts the same. When you knock tune, that's what you're doing. You're just lining up the knocks, but fucking hell, knock tune into ball ache. And if your form's not perfect, you're going to have a bigger effect than the knock tuning is anyway. You know, and I'm, my form's far from perfect, and it can be far from consistent. See, this is back to John Dudley, and it practice more till you get more consistent. Uh, but he puts a weak spine down, and he said his arrows are a lot more forgiving. He's getting much more consistent groups, and again, it's all back to building the forgiving arrow because I let enough bad shots go. And like I said, I, I want my arrows to be really, really forgiving to make up for the horrible soggy bit behind the bow. So I'd watch that, and then there were a. It brought up one from a company called Exodus Outdoor Gear, Exodus that make the trail cameras. And they've got a really good playlist on YouTube called Arrow Testing and Tips. And now then, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Here we go. The first one was The Truth About Spinal Lining Arrows for Compound Bows. That's the actual title of the video. And they do it again, finding the weakest point of the shaft. But this is the one that really bent my head. You'd think the weakest point of the shaft is directly opposite the strongest point, wouldn't you? And you'd think it'd be a consistent line. Of course, the strongest point of the shaft in a traditionally wrapped arrow tends to be that spine where the carbon overlaps. I mean, with some arrows, you can actually see it. And when guys go on about float testing them to find the stiff spine, well, the stiff spine sinks, float goes to the bottom in a bathtub, purely because it's the densest part of the arrow. And they showed how the weak spine can actually move around the shaft in a spiral, particularly when you cut them. Now, we all know there's a manufacturer that, spinalize their shaft which is brilliant from you know appreciated from them but they got they took an arrow at full length and Ben tested it again they did it in a in, in a sash they've got a uh, bow press to do but they use a sash clamp as well and it was just it wasn't quite opposite the stiff the stiff spine as was marked with a spine alignment mark put on by the manufacturer. Then they cut a couple of inches off the arrow, rebent it, and the weak spot was in a different place, cut another couple of inches off, flexed it again, and the weak spot had moved again farther round the shaft. So it looks as though it's the weak spine is actually spiralling round the shaft. So what I shall do when when I've bought these edges, unless I can find somebody that's got the phonic, because I really like the look of the phonic. They look sick. It's only the cresting on them, but the sexing on the phonic, the cresting on the phonic looks sexier than the edge. The edge looks cresting looks a, a little bit cheap. 
That's the only way to describe it. As good as the arrows may be, the cresting looks just a little bit cheap and tacky, and the, the foric, the cresting looks hell of a lot nicer. Anyway, what I'm going to do is buy a sash clamp, cut them to length, and then do this bend test. Put a point in either end. I'm going to buy a clamp. I've seen them anywhere between 16 and 20 quid. And to be honest, if it makes your arrows more forgiving, 16, 20 quid for a piece of kit you can use over and over and over again is an absolute bloody bargain. And I should try this first bend indexing and see what happens. But I should do it the way Exodus Outdoor Gear, Matt from Texas, suggested, where you actually mark the weak, the weak spine and align your cock vein with the weak spine of the arrow. Sorry, I'm such a fucking child. <laughs> Giggling every time I say fucking cock vein. <laughs> One of these days, I really will, <laughs> I really will grow up. And I say, so I think, see, while I was going down this, then I came to some testing the nodes of an arrow, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, how far do I want to go down this rabbit hole? I mean, the, the node merely being when the arrow flexes, it's the two points that are still in line with the target, front and back. Apparently, the one at the front is normally closer to the front of the arrow than the one at the rear is to the back. But when you cut your arrows down, apparently they move apart by an equal amount. I know how to test the nodes, but I'm thinking, well, when I've cut them to length, they're on about you. You want your front node to be directly over your arrow rest. So when you come to length, you then have to move your arrow rest. And because I cut mine fairly close to where my arrow rest is, I could move my rest back a bit, but I haven't got any fucking room to move the damn thing forward. So I think the node testing I'll leave. Like I say, I'm going to try these uh, bully by boning eastern veins, and I am going to put them on with a helicopter. Now, this brings me on to that podcast which was it hang on let me have a look what number again i think it was was it 334 that john dudley did with james l park hang on yeah episode 334 you can find it on spotify amazon podcast apple podcast the video podcast up on youtube it makes fascinating listening and i'll tell you what as somebody that doesn't know a lot about John Dudley, apart from the fact that the guy's an absolute marketing genius, it was a real eye-opener for me just how heavily he's been involved with Eastern designing and building arrows. You know, I, I knew he'd got a couple of world championships. I didn't realise just how many he'd shot. It was a massive eye-opener. And James L. Park has got a... A doctorate in arrow flight that's really his doctorate in and apparently he first noticed john dudley at when john was shooting in australia because he used he, james just used to watch archers shoot and watch their arrow flight and he noted he said how incredibly good john dudley's biomechanics were in his shooting and that's what caught his eye about john dudley but they were talking all things arrow and particularly uh veins and vein height vein length and offset and helical and they both said the optimum is about one and a half inches sorry one and a half inches one and a half degrees of offset we'll get it spinning any more than that can be spinning a little too fast now i know this would this was certainly you know what it's a world archery you don't tend not to shoot very very short shots uh i think i said something like your arrow with one and a half degree you've got two full spins on by the time 
you get to 10 yards. But as you've heard me say on the podcast before, I've shot shots as short as two and a half yards. You know, you need, I want as much stability as I can get. But James did moot that. Do you want the arrow spinning while it's still paradoxing? And he mooted that you want the arrow to finish paradoxing before it starts spinning. Well, I say paradoxing, it's flexing, isn't it? And the archer's paradox is the arrow bending round a bow and still hitting a point in front of you that you aim at when it actually comes off the bow away from that point. You know, that's that's how I understand it. Am I wrong? We know arrows flex, but I was always told it's paradox isn't as important in centre-cut bows because the string's in line with... the front of the arrow's in line with the target. When you're shooting round a riser, when you've got a shelf that's not cut to centre shot, or something like a longbow, that flex is a lot more important because when you release, that arrow is moving away from the target and it's got to flex back in. You've got to have just the right amount of paradox to get it in and back online. Whereas when you're shooting a centre shot bow, this is my understanding anyway, might be horribly wrong if I am, somebody correct me. When you're shooting a centre shot bow, string and front of arrow are pointing at the target, whereas shooting round the riser, the front of your arrow is actually pointed away from the target, and if the front of your arrow is pointing at the target, the back of the arrow is pointing away, you haven't got that lovely straight line through string, back of arrow, front of arrow, target that you have with a centre shot bow. Ooh, I'm all over the shop here. Anyway, let me just have a look at my notes. Yeah, this episode 334 is really fascinating and really, really well worth a listen. It's an amazing episode. Like I say, really opened my eyes up to the amount of work that John Dudley's done in the industry. You know, not just designing bows, but on research and development with arrows, and well, well worth a listen. Anyway, I've been going for just over an hour now. I'm not going to get time to export this, edit it and upload it tonight, so I'm presuming I'll have it up tomorrow night. Of course, it's Sunday night now. It may be up Monday night. It may be up Tuesday night. It just depends on what the wife's got for me to do when I finish work tomorrow. Uh, I've... I've done an awful lot of waffling there, haven't I? don't think I've actually said a lot in me waffling, apart from I'm going back to some skyline edges. Uh, I was up in an R and over vein. See, I might still try some of those boning bully veins. Try some with the X3 veins. Like I say, I just love how gorgeous the blazer veins look, the bully vein. You know, that blazer-style profile looks... Uh, might be worth me doing some 60-yard shots. Say, put three with X3s, three with the the blazer veins, and just see what happens, see if there's any difference in impact point. I presume with a stiffer vein... See, this is one of the things about tack veins. People have said they hold more speed downrange. I'd seen one video that disproved that, but there are an awful lot of people say they do. But then again, they didn't put up video evidence and the guy that said, no, they they shoot the same, they don't hold any more uh, velocity than others, put them through a chrono and showed it. I think I might do three with the boning bullies, three with a bone in X3s, shoot at 16, see if the impact points are different. Be interested to see if there's any spiralling, any parachuting at that distance as well. Anyway, I I think I'm going to be ordering shafts and veins this week. 
So I was say, I'm going to make some phone calls, find out who's actually got them on the shelf before I order, because I don't want to order and then be waiting three months for them to turn up. Oh, dear, the joys of archery in the UK, eh, folks? Sorry, more cider going down there. Anyway, thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, you know where to find me. Any comments, any suggestions, anything you want to say, archerygeekoutdoors at gmail.com. Instagram, archery.geek.outdoors. Uh, TikTok at archerygeekoutdoors. YouTube at archerygeekoutdoors. Facebook, archerygeekoutdoors. It's been a pleasure to have you join me again, folks. Remember, Stay safe, shoot straight, good night. <laughs>